Welcome to Upstream Downstream, a lively civil discussion devoted to the political, policy, and cultural topics that often divide us. Upstream Downstream is presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University in cooperation with WSHC-FM. Here's your host, David Welch. Welcome to Upstream Downstream. In thousands of counties and cities throughout the nation, public health officials are trying to figure out how best and how fast they can put vaccine needles in as many arms as possible. Jefferson County, West Virginia, home of Shepherd University, is no different. At the beginning of the COVID pandemic, West Virginia was viewed as one of the states which would struggle with the rollout of the vaccine. Despite this belief, West Virginia is now one of the leading states when it comes to vaccinations, with just over 20% of the population being fully vaccinated as of April 6th and 31% having received at least one dose. Here to talk with us today about the mission to get Jefferson County fully vaccinated is Michelle Goldman, a registered nurse and volunteer coordinator for the Jefferson County Community Organizations Active in Disaster, or for short, COAD. The Jefferson County COAD is a collective group of organizations committed to making their community become more prepared, resilient, and self-sufficient. Michelle, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, David, for having me. And I first met Michelle, oh my goodness, over a decade ago uh, when she was the uh, executive director and I believe the founder of the Eastern Panhandle Free Clinic. Uh, One of the founders. One of the founders. Well, your work throughout the years has been uh, amazing and we're all better off for it. Uh, Thank you. As I mentioned, West Virginia is one of the leading states for vaccinations. What would you attribute the success to? Uh, Well, I think that our governor has done a good job in pushing out the vaccines um, throughout the state. Um, And I think we recognize that West Virginia has um, some of the worst health statistics and an older population. And um, because of that, I think people realize how important it is to get the message out that we really need to get these vaccines into people's arms. It's frustrating sometimes that the discussion on public health, especially in a something as important as this, kind of does wander into politics a little bit. But I think you're you have a point that the governor does get uh, pretty high marks from from all concerned when it comes to his management of the vaccine amongst uh, those around the state. Yes, it, it, it hasn't made it easy. Um, he's presented us a lot of challenges in um, trying to do this, and but in the long haul, I think um, you know this. We just had to meet those challenges and, uh, you know, work to get every vaccine out there, not waste a a drop. So um, that's what we've been doing. Has the turnout, how has the turnout been for those wanting to receive the vaccination? Honestly, it was um, really amazing when we were doing the 65 and up group. People would show up early for their appointments bring every documentation that they would need, and we had no show, no no-shows. It's probably the only time in healthcare where I've seen such compliance, and, um, the, and to hear their stories um, of how they had been in their house for a year, and this was the first time that they'd gone out, and that they hadn't seen their families, it, it was very touching um, to all the volunteers, and um, we had 
people coming in that were, I think the oldest one was 102. Oh, my. So right from the beginning, um, we saw how important it was what we were doing. And I think that that really inspired the volunteers to continue to come back. I would uh, bet that you have never experienced anything in your career that gave so many people such high degrees of happiness than to get that needle in their arm. That's been really interesting to see how excited people were to come in to actually get a shot. (laughs) (laughs) I know that doesn't usually happen that way, does it? I know when I received mine, especially the second one, there was this feeling of calm that came over me. Now, I wasn't one of those that ripped the mask off and went out and said, Yahoo, I'd never have to wear this thing again. I've been pretty cautious, as my wife has been as well. But there is a feeling of relief that comes over you it's, it's like I made it through a, a, a battle and I lived. Yes. Well, I'll tell you this. I got my shot. Um, I just happened to be walking in the health department when there was, they were doing a, a vaccine clinic in the beginning. This is before Christmas. And they had an extra dose. And I had been volunteering with the health department before this doing the, um, with the screenings for COVID. So that they knew that they had a potential volunteer for when the vaccination clinics came out too. So um, they wanted to make sure I was vaccinated. And, and, you know, honestly, I was one of those people who thought, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. And, you know, I, I felt a little mistrustful about the vaccine, you know, thinking, you know, should I be doing this now and, you know, on and up. But when the opportunity arose, I honestly have to say, I was, I just, took it as a sign from God and said, okay, I'll do it. And it was like, for the first time, I felt like, oh my gosh, a level of stress had left my body um, because we live in a blended family with people of different ages that live in our household. And, you know, I have children, you know, who are grown with their kids, you know, grandchildren. And I I just felt like uh, maybe this is the first step that I won't have to worry about being with them. So um, when it came time, I'm like you with the second shot, I felt like, um, gosh, again, a level of stress had left me that I had no idea that I had been caring for the past year. So I think a lot of people feel that way. And, and um, you know, I've heard many people say, I can't wait in two weeks. I'm going to be seeing my grandchildren for the first time. And that is very rewarding. You know, to feel like we're helping people get their lives back at some level. And, um, you know, it's just has been very rewarding. When people do go to get vaccinated, uh, they there has been this, you know, discussion about the different companies that have made the vaccines. Johnson and Johnson has one kind and uh, one way of doing it and uh, uh, Pfizer another and Moderna another. Uh, is there really a difference between the three of them that are out there? I think the the Moderna and the Pfizer are probably the closest because of the type of technology they use to create that vaccine. Um, the Johnson & Johnson being the one shot is a little bit different, but still, you know, if you know anything about vaccines, um, the fact that they're as effective as they are is pretty amazing. Um, flu vaccines, I'm sure you probably have heard, you know, I think about maybe 50% effective. That's my understanding, so, yes, um, and that's considered a good year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's considered if you have a good good match with the type of flu that's going around. So, um, you know, that 
is really a game changer when you've got a vaccine that is that effective. Let's talk about how the game changed with the vaccine from a political perspective, and I'm not trying to draw you in necessarily to a political discussion, but it did take government working with private industry, in this case the biotech industry, to make this happen. And when we were first experiencing this pandemic in March of 2020, could anyone have guessed that in eight or nine months we would have two and soon to be three vaccines out that are going to hopefully uh, arrest this pandemic? It is, it is really amazing. And honestly, the more I've read about these vaccines, um, you know, and people say, well, they, they did this so quick. This is not a new technology. This has been around for a while. What is really amazing is that this technology worked for this type of virus. And so, um, you know, I, this, this is, I, I as, as a healthcare professional, uh, feel it's a very safe vaccine to get. Um, and it, it, for me, you know, I can't say that I'm a person who runs out to get vaccines for, you know, shingles and pneumonia. I am of that age group. But this vaccine is not about me. This vaccine is actually about other people. And the thought that I could infect somebody um, unknowingly is what really made me think about whether I should get this vaccine or not. And, um, you know, other vaccines, I take my own personal responsibility for my health and try to eat right and, you know, have a healthy lifestyle. But but this is a different uh, scenario with COVID. You know, we need to really be thinking this is we're doing this for others when we take this vaccine. I'm surprised by the number of people that I run into or come into contact with who deeply believe that this uh, virus really is no worse than just a flu virus that we experience every year. What do you say to people who have that opinion? Well, in nursing school, one of the courses I took was virology. And I think if people understood the way that viruses work, um, they would have a healthy respect for a virus. It's probably the scariest course I ever took. Uh, at the time, I remember thinking, this is scarier than any horror movie. Um, viruses are, uh, they're always looking for a host. And, you know, the only way we get rid of a virus is we get rid of the host. And that's, like, with smallpox is the perfect example. So this this is not, although some people are lucky and do not get really sick with this um, and sometimes don't even have symptoms but have the virus, it's like Russian roulette. You don't know if you're going to be one of those people or if you're somebody in your family that you infect is going to be one of those people. And I personally have had a friend who died. Um, I have a friend who's had four members of their family died. One of my family members had um, an extended member of their family die from it. And, you know, that's when you start to see the real realities. And um, as a healthcare provider watching what my other healthcare providers have gone through over the last year in trying to um, take care of these patients and realizing that um, sometimes they were the only hand that was being held at their moment of death or the last face that these people were seeing, not their family members, it breaks my heart. I don't know how they do that, you know. Um, so I, I just say, you know, it's People just are not educated enough, I guess, to understand about the way that viruses work. And um, that's a shame, you well, know, that they don't understand how serious this can be. 
one of the statistics that I've read is that about 70% of Americans are actually okay with getting the vaccine. Some probably more uh, happy about it than others, but there's a, still about a third of us, roughly 70% or roughly 30% who are, are really saying, I'm not going to do it. And I wonder if all the education in the world uh, would help with that 30%. Is that a hardcore uh, 30% or do you think there might be some softness there? Um, I would say it's like the wearing a mask. I think there's a group of people that um, are rugged individualists, you know, who don't like to be told what to do and um, make their decisions not based on uh, education necessarily, but maybe on um, just fear or, um, you know, what somebody has told them without really going into looking at, you know, the science behind it. Unfortunately, we've gotten away from trusting science, but um, if it wasn't for science, there's a lot of things that we wouldn't have that um, help us uh, with many aspects of our life. And so we have to, again, uh, start to learn to trust science um, and, you know, I, I, I have family, I hate to say, I have family members who still refuse to wear a mask and who would never get the vaccine. Um, and, and I have to struggle and deal with, like, how do I relate to them? Because this is very anti for where I am in the world right now. And then the hard part is you still love them with all your heart, right? You, I, right. It's, I not, that you, them, it's but, not that you're you know, taking I, away I, that part of it. Yeah, but it's like, you know, I, I, you can't convince some people, you know, no matter what you say. And, um, you know, I guess you just have to allow people to make these decisions. It's just unfortunate that these decisions that they're making can affect innocent people um, along the way. You know, it's not just a decision about their fate, but it could be the fate of someone else that uh, they come in contact with. This program will first air on April 11th, 2021. It's recorded a couple of days before that, the first week of April, just to put into context my next question, because we are now hearing that uh, from Dr. Tony Fauci that uh, we will be able to go mask-free by around Memorial Day. That's only eight or nine weeks away. Uh, when are you hearing that the country is predicted to be fully vaccinated? Have you, do you know that yet? don't know that and that's actually the first time I've heard that which is um, pretty exciting if that's in the, in really true <laughs> I, I tell you when when I'm with my friends who've had their second shot and we can be together without our masks it's it's amazing feeling I mean something we've taken for granted our whole lives um, now is such a special thing you know that we can actually see each other and, yeah that's always um, worth another bottle of wine when you get to that level right true <laughs> <laughs> Um, here in Jefferson County, where our institute and our university, Shepherd University, is located, as I said earlier, uh, we are currently at level blue, advising caution. What does this mean for surrounding counties, which are red and currently considered high risk? Um, you know, I, I live in Berkeley County, and I think Berkeley County is um, a red county right now. It, interestingly, I was at one of the stores, well, I was at Lowe's yesterday, and I was very surprised how many people were walking around without masks. And so my concern is that people are really letting their guard down without realizing that um, surrounding us in other counties um, around Jefferson, um, the cases are high and there are younger people that are getting sick. And um, 
and they're getting severely ill. I think we just had somebody, I don't know if it's locally or just in West Virginia in their 40s, I heard yesterday that passed away. So, again, we just still have to have a healthy respect for this unseen enemy. That's the hard part, is that life looks normal, but we're fighting an, an enemy that we can't see. It's airborne, and that's scary. Yeah, I don't think anyone likes to wear a mask. I will put myself in that category, but I do think you have a point that some people, rugged individualists, I think you call them, are simply not going to adhere to uh, doing something that the government tells them that's good for them. It's like, I will decide that for myself. And that doesn't that get into the whole debate between science and government in the, in the kind of current way we discuss science? I think so. And, and you know, I think we have to look at other countries and the ways that they have managed this virus. I mean, countries that actually were very compliant um, to the government's, you know, um, lockdowns or, or mandates, you know, when after that happened, um, things got better, much better under control. You know, now some of these places are starting to see surges, mainly because they're now the new variants and because um, some of the restrictions have been lifted. But, you know, we've never really gotten a good grip on this virus in this country. Um, You know, we've had many more deaths than we probably needed to have. And, um, And it's not over. Are those who are fully vaccinated protected enough to not have to worry about living in or doing business in high risk areas. So let's, it's almost a question of, you know, how big is the risk in a way? I'm fully vaccinated. I'm going to go to work at uh, a retail in a retail environment where you, you're going to come into contact with a hundred people during the day that you don't know and you'll never see again. Uh, and certainly you're, you you know wear a mask you're hoping that they're wearing a mask you're hoping that you're staying six feet away you're, you're 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 sanitizing your hands on a regular basis but the question are those who are fully vaccinated protected enough where they don't have to worry about living in or doing business in high-risk areas I think we always need to be concerned because the, the vaccines are not a hundred percent and the other thing is we don't know with these variants there might, you know, they're changing all the time, um, finding uh, new variants. We don't know if one, at some point one will come along that the vaccine doesn't work. And also, the, these vaccines are new enough that we don't know exactly how long we'll have immunity. So I know at this point, at least six months, you know, you're good. But at some point, that may change. So I think, you know, we still have to be cautious until there is no, you know, virus. Or it's at such a small level that, um, you know, we don't have to be as concerned. Um, But for now, I would still be cautious. I mean, when I go to the store, I'm fully vaccinated and I'm in a big box store. I'm still maintaining all the things that I did before. You're listening to Upstream Downstream, sponsored by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. We are joined today by Michelle Goldman, registered nurse and volunteer coordinator for the Jefferson County COAD, paving the way to get Jefferson County, West Virginia, vaccinated. Back in February, there was an anti-vax protest in Los Angeles that cut off access to a mass vaccination site 
albeit briefly, what sort of resistance has the COAD faced in its goal to get the county vaccinated? You know, we anticipated that there could be something like that happen um, because we know that there are people who feel very strongly against uh, people getting the vaccine, but we have not experienced anything like that. And um, thank goodness, um, you know, we, we've had very happy people showing up to get their vaccines and we've had very happy volunteers who are there um, providing the services. If anything, um, I would say our events have been more of a celebration, um, but it would be quite devastating, um, I think, for all involved if someone had come and um, protested because um, I, I think, you know, Jefferson County is a special place. Um, I've, I've worked in Jefferson County my, for the last 30 years, and it, it's such a sense of community. Um, people really have been there for, their families have been there for hundreds of years, I found out, and so that everybody knows each other, and um, it. It just, I think, would have been morally very disturbing um, or to their morale, I should say, if there had been protesters. Well, and it's taken, as it has in counties and, and cities around the nation, it's taken uh, this whole COVID-19 has taken its toll with our young people. If we look now at the mental health problems we're going to have coming out of this uh, pandemic, uh, students who have been quarantined in their homes, uh, student athletes who haven't been able to play their sports where they've had their seasons canceled or band members or theater members of schools who haven't gotten to do what they love. I mean, we we are going to deal with this. And I, I only bring this up because I love what you said about a strong sense of community. Even tight-knit communities are going to have an impact as it relates to this uh, pandemic. Right. I, I, I agree with you. But all the more reason for us to really be out there um, trying to solve this problem. And one of the ways we solve it is with the vaccine. And you can't force people, of course, um, to have a vaccine. But in, in a way, when, when we enter our, child, our children into public school, more or less we're requiring them to have vaccines, aren't we? That's right. Um, you know, you have to be able to show that your child has been vaccinated. I, I think one of the things, and I tell people when they are getting their second shot and they get that last, you know, uh, dose put on their card that I say this is the, the key to the kingdom in a sense. I, I, you know, we don't know how these cards will be used in the future, but I can anticipate the fact that if you want to get on an airplane, it will be much easier if you can show that you've been vaccinated or if you want to go to a sporting event or if you want to participate in anything where you're going to be around other people. Um, you're going to, they're going to want you to show something. Right now, it's that you've been um, screened for COVID. However, those aren't even all that effective. You know, I mean, there's, there's question about different um, tests and how, how reliable they are. So there's still a chance, you know, a, a higher chance that you could be carrying the virus than if you have a vaccine, which is a much lower chance. So, um, you know, it, it could be that what helps the people that are resistant right now get the vaccine, it's going to be that um, they may want to go to a concert or they may want to fly or they may want to leave the country and other countries may require that. So, and I've seen that even at the um, clinic, we've had people come in who, who um, got a vaccine because 
I have to travel and I'm being told I can't, uh, you know, by either the company they work for or the, where they're going to be, you know, working as a consultant, that they can't go unless they have a vaccine. So, um, you know, that will probably help push numbers up also for people getting a vaccine. One of the more controversial things that has been discussed in recent uh, weeks is that some airlines want to require what they're calling a vaccine passport now. What are your thoughts about that, Michelle? Uh, What do you mean by the vaccine passport? There there are some airlines who are advocating um, the idea that you can't fly unless you've been vaccinated. Yeah, I I, I could see that happening. And um, I was talking to one of my family members today, and I, I think... Sounds like maybe the government's going to come up with an app that you have on your phone that some countries have that show that you've been vaccinated. Um, you know, I, it, like I say, I tell people it might be the key to the kingdom. I mean, it may be the way that, it, as crazy as this sounds, because it sounds very uh, like 1984, uh, the book, yeah. but, you know, you may have to have something that shows that. Um, you know, you, you are protected against the virus and that you wouldn't be spreading it necessarily. Well, you could have a political discussion and a half about that uh, issue, couldn't right, you? I right, right. That's mean, a whole other topic, right? Comes <laughs> in, um, how effective is the vaccine against variants of the virus? Do you have any clue yet, or do we just do we just not have answers on that yet? I, I know the, the uh, Pfizer, I've heard, is uh, still effective, and I, I would assume that the others are too right now. Um, but... You know, they've been tested. You know, what they do throughout the country is when they do the swabs and they find someone has COVID, they go in and they look to see if it's a, you know, what the variant is or what the DNA of that virus is. And um, so far, the the, uh, vaccines have been effective against those variants. And so that's really good. If someone has been diagnosed with COVID, how long should they wait before getting vaccinated? You know, that... That's a good question because, um, you know, they will have some natural immunity for who knows how long, at least we know for a few months. Um, They probably should not rush out and get the vaccine. They're more apt to have stronger side effects from the vaccine because their body has just been through COVID and their immune systems are going to recognize the RNA um, in the virus and the vaccine and we'll put up an immune response, which is what, what we all want to have happen when we get the vaccine. But in their case, it might be a little bit stronger than if they hadn't had COVID. And so um, there are people who, like I have a friend who was, um, got their COVID, uh, their first vaccine, but five days later developed symptoms of COVID. And it turns out they were exposed before they got their vaccine, but it you know takes a while before you start having symptoms. And they were told not to get their second vaccine for a couple of months to wait, you know, not go back at the, um, the regularly scheduled time. So um, you do want to give, I, I, you know, I'm not the doctor, but um, you do want to give yourself some time after you've had COVID to get the vaccine. I know someone who just yesterday I found out has had both of his vaccines and now tested positive. Yeah. And, and uh, what he's being told is that, well, you're one of the 5%. Right. And the good thing is that um, generally, you know, you're not going to have very strong symptoms. 
So even if you do get COVID, it's like the Johnson and Johnson is, I think, seventy mm-hmm. something percent um, effective. But the good thing is that if you get COVID, you're not going to end up with the severe symptoms that end you up in the hospital or potentially could kill you. So it's kind of it, you know. Um, and that's a big plus. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I've actually heard this statement that one of the things all of the three vaccines have in common is that 100% of those who have taken them have not had to go to the hospital and 100% of them have not died. Yes. So that's actually really good. Yes. Unfortunately, Michelle, that's all the time we have, but I want to thank you for taking the time to talk with us. It was just wonderful having you, and well, you have, you have you. great I insight. I enjoy talking with you. Thank you. I'd also like to thank our producer, Sarah Burke, and our associate producer and editor, Bianca Eisen, thank you all so much for listening. On behalf of WSHC-FM and the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University, I'm David Welch. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Upstream Downstream, presented by the Stubblefield Institute for Civil Political Communications at Shepherd University. To learn more about the Stubblefield Institute or to become a friend of the Institute, please go online to stubblefieldinstitute.org.